This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good evening and welcome to Plato's Cave here on Triple R 102.7 FM. I hope you all had a fantastic Easter or if you're listening to us on podcast or via the radio on demand playback service, I hope you're having a fantastic whatever you're doing right now. My name is Thomas Caldwell. This is a film criticism show and I'm joined tonight once again by Alexandra Heller Nicholas and our guest host Hayley Inch is back for another round of punishment. Hayley, thank you. Thank you for enduring us again. <laughs> ding, ding. Oh, ding, ding. Well, no worries. Well, well, I'm pretty sure tonight's going to be pretty contentious. I think we're going to be like a bunch of animals in a zoo. It's on. There's a segue for you. <laughs> very well said. We are going to be taking a look at Zootopia very shortly on, on the show tonight. And we, we did have a... You're not meant to talk about conversations you have off air, but we did quickly pick each other's minds about what we thought of the films before we started tonight. And we all have very different feelings. So, yeah, it may get savage. Um, we're going to be taking a look at the new film by Italian filmmaker Luca Guadagnino. Nino, a bigger splash. It stars Tilda Swinton as a famous rock star whose holiday with her current lover is interrupted by the arrival of a past lover. Hate it when that happens. <laughs> Again. Again. We'll also be discussing the new Australian film The Daughter, where the wedding of a town's wealthy business owner and patriarch brings old resentments and hidden secrets to the surface. But as Haley indicated, we're going to start off with Zootopia. This is the 55th film by Walt Disney Animation Studios. Now, it's set in a world populated by anthropomorphic animals... It's about a rabbit named Judy Hopp who becomes the very first rabbit to join the police force and is soon caught up in a plot to undermine the harmony between predators and prey. Zootopia has been met by a surprisingly large amount of critical acclaim and commercial success. It's been praised for its thematic timeliness and its strong female lead character, uh, even though, interestingly, Judy Hopp was originally intended to only be a supporting character. That got changed fairly late in the day to put her at the centre of the film. So, Haley and Alex, how do you feel about Zootopia and how do you think... It, I think the Disney films of late have been really impressive. So how do you think this ranks alongside other recent Disney animated features such as Big Hero 6, Frozen and Wreck-It Ralph? Um, yeah, you're definitely right that Disney is on a bit of a roll at the moment. They've lifted I their game, haven't they? lifted their game significantly because for the most part during the 2000s, you know, they were effectively steamrolled by Pixar and... Um, uh, yeah, and just DreamWorks, and, and, DreamWorks yeah. and we're just not in the game at all. But I think, yeah, particularly from Wreck-It Ralph and the, you know, giant fireball of, you know, domination that was Frozen. Um, oh, they, that, that is Frozen. That is Frozen. <laughs> it's still happening. There's another one coming, guys. They're making another it one. never stop. It will never stop. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I will never let it go. <laughs> Which is referenced in this film, too. There's even yes. a bit of a gag about Frozen. There yep. is. Um, and I... I, I was mostly in, impressed with Zootopia in terms of an, an, an entertaining animation that um, is, is, is clearly going to keep the kids, kids invested while also having enough for the, the adults to get involved with, you know, for, for good or for bad. We will get to Alex with the bad later. Um, <laughs> but That's foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Um, but but for the most part, look, I I enjoyed it. You know, it's 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 very intricately animated. You know, um, it, it's set in this um, city where where and and 
animals have supposedly, you know, lived in harmony uh, together, prey with predators and everything like that. No, I must admit that they never sort out the question of what the predators are eating if they're not eating the prey anymore. But anyway, so segue, um, sidetrack, sidetrack, pullback. Um, but um, it, it, it's essentially a story about um, diversity and tolerance and um, learning to live with people with differences and what prejudices can do to people and things like that. And I think on a surface level, you know, the, the film is, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, it's the Disney, it's the moral, it'll wrap it all up for you. There's really good voice acting to carry you along. There's jokes, it's all colourful, everything like that. I think if you try pushing the diversity and tolerance analogy any further beyond the surface, things start getting a bit sticky and things don't quite follow through. So if you're the kind of person who wants to deeply analyse a Disney movie, there's a lot for you to work through here, as I think we're all about to do. I think Ad, Ad, Alex is pretty champing at the bit I, to, to get I, going on this. I, I can't let it go. <laughs> I have not learnt. Look, I, um, I've actually brought my own yellow cards tonight, which <gasps> I've just realised is a very, very poor gag. Because this is true. This is, well, there is, it is. This is radio, visual. so visual Ooh. gags don't, <laughs> don't work. And it's also not a yellow card. It's actually paper. So instead of being the soccer reference that I hoped it would be. I think if I just get really stressed out, you guys just need to get me to do some soothing origami or something. <laughs> I'm going to be the sourpuss tonight. Why do you hate the film about the Why bunny rabbit? Why do I hate the film a about bunny the bunny rabbit? A bunny rabbit trying to achieve I, um, its dreams. I'm very pro-diversity. There's no but coming here. I think the things that this film is being championed for, in fact, were done in a far less complicated and far more... Uh, honest, straightforward way in a film that was critically canned but commercially really successful last year, um, an animated film. I think it was DreamWorks by Tim Johnson called Home, which starred Rihanna, which if you're looking for, hmm, I wonder if there's some subtext here, Australia was turned into a giant detention centre for human beings. There's stuff going on in Home that really didn't get the kind of critical... Is that, that it is. is that really that's actually a that point in home? That's it no, is, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I think that's a remarkable film. And I, I wish I'd seen it now. it was grossly neglected by, by critics. Audiences mm. loved it. Including they loved, us. Yeah, like audiences yeah. loved it. Then Rihanna was just perfect. You know, the little um, African-American protagonist, J-Lo's her mum. Wonderful film. So the things that I think people are getting out of Zootopia, I, I really got out of Homes. I have a little... I watch a lot of kids' films <laughs> because I'm an infant. Um, I... I do get a little kind of over sensitive, I think, when when children's films overthink it for grown ups, where it's aiming too much at an adult market, that kind of wink to the camera, this is for the mums and dads. And I do think that there is a tendency sometimes to slide a little too far. I think the later Toy Story films perhaps did that, where they got a little bit too the, the kids almost came second to the to the adult audiences. This is all like a big disclaimer. This film, when I started watching it, I thought, great, this is basically going to be Blue Steel meets Animal Farm. I'm in with a bunny. This is my thing. The Blue Steel stuff at the start was really on. And I'm like, this is always what I've wanted, an, an animated Blue Steel. Um, it, this kind of allegory, I think, works really well up until about halfway through until it introduces this idea of super predators, which is a term um, loaded with political bad vibes if you do a quick google search if you've never heard the term before do a google search for hillary clinton and uh super predators it was a term that she used very controversially i think in around 96 um talking about 
she used it in a racist context about uh, kids and gangs in the United States and it's one of those it's a, it's a term that's really haunted her um, and she's come back in recent years and kind of apologised for it and said no it's not what I meant and if I said it now I would have said it very differently um, my problem with Zootopia is that if you follow the allegory that the film sets up in the first half through to the end of the film it's actually super 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 problematic by the introduction of this super predator idea um, and it's hard to go into detail on this, I think, without spoilers. So I'm just going to leave it at that and say that if this is something that you'd like to pursue, I think that Hillary Clinton is a really important figure. I think she's a bad person myself. She's not really my politics. Oh, there's a little clue if you've seen that. There the you film. go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that this film is pretty overtly political that. when you kind of... <laughs> the politics in this film, I, I, um, I think, is... is is not soft. I think mm. that this film is a really strong political opinion gunning for one particular person. The the political allegory that you, you mentioned and have alluded to, and we, we got to speak a bit more explicitly about it before the show where we just went nuts with, with spoilers and revealing how the film ends, is something that never crossed my mind or occurred to me, not having that in-depth uh, knowledge to the same degree. And it's, it's pretty powerful, potent stuff. I did enjoy this film, although I did feel something was ultimately lacking, and it did feel partly that a lot of the joy was sucked out of it because of maybe that tendency to nod its head towards adults, which, as a rule, I don't mind. I love Toy Story 3. I loved uh, Inside Out. I, I, as a rule, really like these more family films that are kind of secretly adult films in disguise. Inside but Out's like the the optimum film that's that balances kind of the both, peak isn't one. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's but um, apart from sort of certain moments, there's sort of almost a bit of a joylessness. This film, it's I, I didn't laugh that much. I mean, there's a sequence in the middle where they go to a big city administration building run by slots, which I found hysterically funny. And <laughs> I, I think that's on the trailer because I yeah. remember seeing the trailer and thinking, "This is the film of the year." Like, and I'm that, in. that worked, uh-huh. and there is some genius comedic timing with the slowness of the sloths in that sequence. I mean, that's really, really funny stuff. But things like the, you know, allusions to The Godfather and Breaking Bad, I did actually think, yeah, I don't know, this is really all that cool in the kids' film. It feels a bit too smarmy and smart because obviously no children are going to be getting Breaking Bad and Godfather references. Although my son was breastfed to The Godfather, but that was a complicated time. Um, it's <laughs> what I... <laughs> It, it, and it, that was the precise weird. moment that the show got weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unlike last week where he talked about becoming Satanists. Yeah, but, um, yeah. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> what was my point? Um, <laughs> what I did like about this film was the initial allegory. And I, 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 yeah, I, I agree I, with I want to get back to how it goes wrong because it, it's this idea that there is you know, effective harmony between these two sides of the species, you know, the predators and the prey, but the film acknowledges there are still lingering prejudices and fears that go unchecked because of the assumption that equality has been achieved. There are still these problems, but everybody says life is fine. I thought that was sophisticated. I like the fact that it looks at the way discrimination scares kids and shape shapes adults. It's a learned behaviour based on, on fear and that even the, the, the most well-intentioned of us are capable sometimes of, of appalling uh, attitudes and, and behaviour. And ultimately I think there's a message there saying that it's, it's unfair, it's stupid and it's destructive to generalise based on a small minority. Now where it gets complicated is in the plotting. There is this idea that the, the villains of the film effectively are trying to say that feelings of intolerance, hatred and prejudice a part of animal DNA. That's actually in there within us all. It's a natural thing. And you think of the various trolls on, on social media who say, but science, you know, I, I have these feelings because but science, it's innate to human beings or innate to animals. 
animals. And, and the point of this film is to discredit those people, to say, no, you've been drugging them. But then there's this other plot point that kind of says when we revert to this savage, uncivilised side, those behaviours are there. And that's contradictory. It, it, the film, I think, gets gets caught up again with telling a story and that's what you know what, what kid films tend to do is they tell a story and they really muddle the allegory and it took a lot of the edge off i think i think you're exactly right i mean um i think that the most the most powerful part of the film is when sparrow fart the rabbit or whatever her name is what's her name <laughs> judy hops oh my god show yeah. some respect she's an officer of the law no, Alex, yellow officer card hops, yellow sorry. card i need a yellow card yeah you're getting one for that yeah okay. i think um, and there's a montage sequence where she gives people parking tickets and we meant to cheer her on that was weird <laughs> that was a bit weird yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, where she, where she sort of, um, I, I, I do really like that idea where she, you know, picking up this very, very concrete um, idea about um, super predators, where she basically argues something that that good people shouldn't argue for, and she learns that that it's not an us and them thing, that even nice people are capable of thinking com- some pretty horrendous things, but the allegory just, like you said, it just falls apart in that it just it. It's so self-conscious of being a complex allegory that I just don't think it really carries it through. I mean, I mean, for me, and again, I might be heading into spoiler territory here, so I'm going to try to be a bit vague, but the ending to me is almost a kind of Manchurian candidate kind of ending. Is that too obscure or is it no. not obscure enough? No, I think it's like... It, it's a kind of conspiracy of the... Yeah, people being programmed uh-huh. to act against their... their well, to act against the nature or are they acting to their true this nature that civilization uh-huh. has brought us further from? That's the confusion, isn't it? There's, it's just yeah. dicey for me. And I think a, a lot of... I mean, I'm not the only person who's picked up this super predator thing, but people have really stopped the analysis halfway through. It's like, so So Judy Hopps, officer of the law, Judy Hopps, see... I'm showing some respect. You know, she she ran with this super predator thing and then she realised that that was not cool and learnt the error of her ways. So, yay, it's super, super predator, bad idea. I don't think that the rest of the film really maintains that. I think that, yeah, I think that there's... A bit of a hot mess at the end there. Yeah, but to kind of drop in a few positives, just so that we go yes. try to Shakira. go out. On can we talk about Shakira? Oh, Shakira, yes, you can. Who plays Gazelle, the and she's pop amazing. Star of Zootopia. That was yeah. my highlight. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm a pack a bong for Shakira. <laughs> yes, excellent. And and look, I yellow carded again. How has that become our expression? <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud. I brought that one to the you table. You brought that one to the table. Yeah. That's great. Um, and and I also think a lot of the voice casting is superlative, superlatively done. Um, uh, Jennifer Goodwin is Judy Hopps and and Jason Bateman. You're going to have your Jason as, Bateman moment. I'm now, having aren't my you? Jason Bateman moment. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, Dis- Disney have. They, they have history with offering you up an, imp- in, an inappropriately sexy fox character. We go back to the Robin Hood from 1971 and we also come back to Jason Bateman's character, Nick Wilde in Zootopia, just- who, let me just say, I'm also laying blame at Jason Bateman's feet because some of his line readings are not PG at all. <laughs> Apparently, this this film is being marketed towards the furry community. It is. Community, oh, so, yeah. Disney went out to the furries with this. Yeah. <laughs> How could this film get weirder? <laughs> well, why on earth has it been so incredibly popular? I mean, audiences on mass normally hate 
films with allegories in them, this yeah. this kind of progressive or, or, or potent. Or maybe I'm giving, I don't know. It's but really I'm, cute. Look, the animation it, is really cute. The, it is cute. The it's the very old school really too. And I think There's some nice scale yeah. and size mm-hmm. gags too, actually. Yeah. I think they work well with the fact yeah. that the animals are all different shapes and sizes. And I also think just um, just from my own tootling around on the internet, um, a lot of women in particular are really enjoying the fact that the central relationship in the film is a friendship mm-hmm. between a woman and a man and, well, a, a male and a female and the male's role is to support the female throughout. Mm. He, he is there to make sure that she does, and does was, the well, right thing. It was originally yeah. going to be the other way around. It was originally That's, going to be his story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, like I said at the start, I actually do think that that kind of the rabbit version of Blue Steel yes. is, is actually really enticing. Like, I love that idea of, like, I was going to say boiling the bunny down, but that's not the phrase that I'm after. That that's is a wrong film. film. Wrong film. Wrong film. <laughs> no bunny boiling in this film. Um, yeah, like, I like the idea of a kind of Blue Steel, not not the end of Blue Steel, but that kind of, you know, it's that kind tough of vibe. for a girl to be a... And there's a, in those first ten minutes, you know, when she's like, I want to be a cop, the the struggle that she goes to in you know, her first day of work, there's some really, really amazing stuff going on there, I think. Yeah, I think we all liked or disliked this film to different degrees, but I think the cons- we actually have got the consensus that it starts off really good with so much potential and something goes wrong, maybe after the slots. They should have just stuck with the slots. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. The Daughter is the feature film debut of writer-director Simon Stone, who has had a very successful and acclaimed career in theatre. A few years ago, he staged a, mod- a modernised version of Henrik Ibsen's The Wild Duck, which is also the source material that The Daughter is loosely based on. It's set in a rural town in the depths of winter. The Daughter is an ensemble drama about the dynamics between various family members who have come together for a wedding. Haley, what was your take on this? I was pretty jazzed with this. Um, I'm always pretty big on films where families are just quietly going bung and, you know, people... <laughs> Such a good word. So great. And, um, you know, d- d- mysterious people who've been away for years all of a sudden show up and then all of a sudden everyone's skeletons and secrets just start falling out like so many, you know, drunk aunties at a wedding. Um that that metaphor got away from me. Um, but <laughs> I think it's appropriate considering the film. <laughs> basically, mm. basically, shit goes down at weddings. That's 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 all I can the alternate say. name. Yes, yes. <laughs> the tagline. The tagline. <laughs> Don't go to weddings. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so I I I didn't get to see unfortunately Simon Stone's actual original uh, theatre piece, The Wild Duck, which he did at the Belvoir in Sydney and. Um, at the Malt House in Melbourne, which was apparently this whole revolutionary uh, rehauling of doing Ibsen, like mm-hmm. they were all doing it inside uh, glass cases, and it focused on. Um, I, I, I think the lead character was an architect or something that was very much focused on like inner city living, and it seems like um, from what I've seen from interviews with Simon Stone, he tends to like to repurpose things out and build things up from from the bottom again, again and again. So in adapting the play, he wanted to do something completely different. So that's why he pulled it out to, you know, the New South Wales hinterland and all of a sudden it's in a logging town and about a patriarchal family and um, it, it, it really focuses on this idea of... Yeah, hold, holding secrets for decades. And um, I think the film really comes down to its p- 
performances for the most part. I mean, there's there, there's a whole list of, you know, just Australian talents rolling out of this thing. You've got Jeffrey Rush and Sam Neill and New Miranda Zealand Otto. Oh, New Zealander <laughs> Sam Neill, sorry. Our Antipodean friend, Sam Neill. Um, uh, you and Leslie, who I think is the best Australian actor going around today, and I really hope he never goes away to America because we need him because he just gives so much to everything that he does. And, um, of course, rising star Odessa Young, who I think alongside Leslie, they're, they're the two heavy hitters in this film. They're the ones who are just giving ball out of the park performances and are worth going for for alone. Just go for those two. They're just having a ball and they're just really getting a lot of meat out of the um out, out of the film. Yeah, it's interesting for an all star cast and I think do we say Miranda Otto, she's in there as well. Yes. And American actor Paul Schneider, mm. um, who is a really eclectic actor actually. I've only just started watching Parks and Recre- Recreation for the very first time. I was kind of a bit blown away to see him in that in a comedic role considering his work in The Daughter and films like Bright Star. Uh, I like him a lot. But um, I think it's that relationship between Odessa Young's character and, and, and you and Leslie's character, which is really strong. And then it's a father-daughter relationship. relationship. Yeah. Oh, I've got to make sure I've got that right. Because yes, you do. <laughs> the relationships get very complicated in this they film. And, um, and he's an actor who's been... He was in this, the stage production that Simon Stone mm. did in Sydney. Um, he's done a... You look him up his filmography, he's done a heap of really interesting films. He and was he's in a, Dead Europe. Yeah. He was in Dead yeah, Europe, yeah, yeah. Dead Europe, Sleeping Beauty... Um, I really liked him in Sleeping Beauty. Um, look, I think he's just a great actor. He's sort of one of these people who will suddenly be huge. I think it'll just suddenly he'll just burst off. Everyone will suddenly finally take notice. He's a really strong. He's an interesting performer. He doesn't do the normal shtick when it comes to acting. There's something a little bit quirky and unpredictable about him, which I really like. And Odessa Young is somebody who, through my, my day job working in short films, I've been seeing in stuff for a few years now. She's been working her way up acting in a lot of local short films, and and she's a force to be reckoned with. I mean, this is an astonishing debut. I think this is her second film. She was also in... We didn't get to cover it on the show. Looking for Looking Grace. Looking for Grace, yeah. Uh, so this is her, her second feature that she's starred in. And, um, yeah, look, astonishing. I really dug this film. I um, I mean, it's a part of me got a, a bit of a, a sense of dread as I watched it when I realised this film conforms to all the caricatures of what people often dismiss Australian cinema for being, which is very serious, depressing, bleak, and, you know, just genuinely unhappy. And this film kind of has all those things. It's, it's a family drama. It's not a genre film. Film and it sort of frustrates me that, uh, you know, that there is so... I'm projecting complaints, maybe. This is, this is silly of me to do this. But I just think it's sad that the level of debate about Australian cinema is so poor that we automatically dismiss anything that's playing for adults and people who, who think. I'm not saying this film is automatically a masterpiece because it's not doing... Th- those things, uh, I, I just, I, I just feel like this film could potentially have a very rough time because so much critical discourse in this country about what Australian film should be is so negative and judgmental. Um, all that aside, yeah, I really strongly like this film. I think Stone, who, um, I mean, this is sort of two steps removed from the Ibsen play now. I mean, his stage adaptation, although I didn't see it, I've read a bit about it, was very much removed from Ibsen, and this is removed even further. And he's taken that social satire of Ibsen and I think very effectively put it into an Australian context. I mean, the Geoffrey Rush character as the patriarch of this family isn't actually in the film all that much, but when he does, he looms large. And he's kind of a sort of Rupert Murdoch slash Gina Reinhart type character who gets what whatever he wants at the expense of everybody beneath him. And I think the film works well during that kind of... You know, the personal is, is political. The way he 
his influence over his family is very representative of the way these people are rep- uh, influence the broader community. And that is they get what they want and everybody else ends up miserable. They, they destroy lives. Even things that have happened way in the past come back to the surface. Um, I don't think the film is any deeper than that necessarily, but it, it certainly worked for me. And I just really enjoyed the, 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 the naturalistic performances and, um, yeah, the, the, the astonishingly strong acting in this film. I'm going to be... Um I'm going to fit in quite neatly with you, actually, because I, I give face to precisely the critics that you've just conjured. Um, in, I went in quite optimistic to this film. I was really looking forward to seeing it, and it broke my heart. I've just, I just found it so tedious. I felt like I've seen this film a thousand times before. There was not one moment that I thought this is something new and interesting. It just felt like every single cliche from the Australian film TM playbook... I'm I swear leave it. I wasn't trying no, to preempt no, no, your response. No, 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 I know that you weren't. And, I, and that's... I, um, it's actually... I think it's good because it means that I... You're not just speculating. There are those critics because I am one of them. At least you've seen it. At least you've like, seen it, know, which is more than yeah, most people do I do know exactly. And look, things, yeah. I really want to say probably even more... I, more important than what my opinion on the film is. Like, eh, who cares either way? But I really don't like... I don't like shitting on Australian film. I honestly think it's just hard enough anyway to make a film in this country and get it into a cinema. The last thing, you know, saying I didn't like it, to me just doesn't feel very helpful um, at all. So I would, I actually agree with a lot of what you guys said in terms of the performances. I would recommend seeing this film simply for Odessa Young. I mean, she is just... If you want to be in a position to be able to gloat and say that you were into early Odessa Young now is your time because she's just there's nothing like and she's an extraordinary performer this she carries the film um i've i really can't recall the last time i saw somebody of that age put in such an incredible performance and i also agree with you and leslie um i i think and the the chemistry between those two made made the experience worthwhile um I, I will always... I mean, Sam Neill's in my favourite film, which is a little bit teenage to have a favourite film, but I love... I've, You've said that before. It's it's fine. I'm just, You're allowed to have your favourite films. I'm going to always... Be, he's a, you know, we all laugh when he did those... Lamb, was it Lamb ads? Lamb ads, did? yeah. Yeah, now who's laughing? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, no, <laughs> no. Nobody's laughing at the Lamb ads no, anymore. No, I think like, he's no. really... I mean, he puts in a really strong performance. <laughs> I think sometimes Sam Neill in film can sometimes almost be apparent like it's Sam Neill playing a character mm. whereas this time I think he really there's real nuance in the character that actually could be a little bit of a cliche and I think Miranda Osho also deserves a shout out we mentioned her in passing but I think that she was a really strong character too I didn't know that this was an adaptation of the Ibsen play and um, I the, hearing that background is quite interesting to me because I was surprised at how straightforward an adaptation it was in a way like it just felt like it changed the location it made a little twist at the end but it just i mean i I think i did that in high school or uni um and it kind of felt okay here we go again and i I guess in a more constructive way the jindabine as well was based on a um raymond carver short story i I got a lot Um, of jindabine vibes watching um i thought a lot about jindabine watching this and and both of those films there's a um i'm gonna just drop this in there's a film coming out um in a couple of weeks playing at Acme called Observance, which is an Australian film. The director of that film, and I think this is going to be quite controversial, the director has the Australian cast um, using American accents. Uh, this hasn't been a pro... It's played London Film Festival. It's played overseas. People haven't really had a problem with it. I suspect people here will have a problem with it. I, I really love this film. And when I was watching The Daughter, I was thinking, is... It's kind of open slather. I mean, Jindabyne shipped in... Is it Gabriel Byrne? It was Gabriel Byrne and uh, Laura Linney. Yeah, like, and, and this film, I mean, Paul Schneider, he's not a terrible actor, but I just... There's a conversation where he explains 
why he's American, and it reminded me of Greece. You know the bit at the start of Greece where Olivia Newton-John explains really quickly why she has an Australian accent, and it's really like tacked on. That's what it reminded me of. Like it was so like, oh, he's an American actor. Like it's, I don't know. I mean, maybe he has close ties to Australia, but I have no idea why that particular character needed to be an American actor, other than it just being an imported American actor. Um, well, it's think, not a complaint, but I think that there's a broader thing at stake here. Like, and, and these are, I guess, I'm, where I'm going with this is I'm trying to be a little bit more constructive than just me saying yeah, I didn't like it. The <laughs> idea with that is he's been away for a significant amount of time, and he's now an outsider in his own community, and that was defined by his accent. That's the kind of vibe I got. That you know he's been away for a long time. He's now come back, and there's something that continually reminds people he's been away for a long time. So it's the fact he's picked up an accent. It, it just felt like a really tapped on. Hey, he's an American guy. Like. Let's put the American star in the Australian movie to get the funding is what it felt like to me. And that's what it felt like a little bit in Jindabyne as well. Um, And I I realise that there are industrial pressures and that there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So it's not a complaint um, as so much as an observation that I think that these films that we really champion as being these, you know, pure Australian films, I mean, it's imported, it's adaptations of imported material, imported stars, uh, you know, this is kind of a bit of a... Complex. I don't have an issue with that. I don't. I don't I, like yeah. I said, I mean, I really champion this film that has a. St- I mean, John Jarrett has an American accent in Observance, mm. and I, I've got zero problem with that at all. Like, I, it was fine for me. Is it set in America? Uh, it's. It, that's kind of the point with that film is that it's. Yeah. A, it's a kind of um, ambiguous liminal space. It's almost like partisan. Kind of like a Daybreakers. Um, Probably closer to, to Daybreakers, but from, it actually reminded me of Partisan, and it's sort of nowhere but somewhere. See, um, I find that more cynical because they're obviously trying to appeal to a broader audience as possible by doing it American because that's the default accent of the world now in terms of entertainment. I think to me it was much of a muchness because this mm. just felt like an imported American TV star in an Australian film with the grease tacked on, hey, this is why I'm American. I must admit, I'm kind of... I'm thinking back to an interview that Simon Stone did with, I believe, Broadsheet. So it's it's online. Do some searching. And he essentially talks about... This, this critical wheel that keeps turning every time we have a major Australian film come out where basically it's, it's, a, it's an excuse for all the crits to get together and just go, oh, the state of the Australian film industry. <laughs> oh. And he, he had a couple of very interesting, very, you know, borderline harsh things to say where he was just kind of like, why don't we all just stop? talking like this why don't we just start treating australian films like every other australian film he was he said something really interesting along the lines of basically it's like being in a job where you are having a job review with your boss every two hours how are you meant to get anything done how are you meant to to churn out anything if everything that you do is constantly having these critical roadblocks placed in front of you know why can't we just say we're just going to treat australian films like any other film that comes along and not actually talk about them with, within a specific industry context you know just leave the industry alone for 20 years and see what happens i can't speak for other critics but for myself i can say because if i do that i would go on air and say this is a really shit film and I really regret seeing it and um, I don't really want to do that I don't really want to do that and I just did it because the director asked me to and that's it I actually was really disappointed in this film I had really high hopes for it and and I thought it was pretentious and tedious I loved it regardless (laughs) I think even if this was an American or an English film or whatever or or yeah, I just I'd still something be jazzing with it I've just seen it so many times I love the idea of repackaging in a, a, um, a, a 
an, an older text from a different time in a different place and oh, repurposing it. Yeah, um, no, I don't, and, and I don't have problems with this, that. This worked for me, but it's, it's as simple as that. It worked for me. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's basically what it came yeah. down to me. Yeah. And I, I, I do hear what yeah. Stone is saying, and I do, I do have a lot of sympathy for what yeah. he's saying as well. Look, a lot of the criticism about the Australian film industry for me seems to come from two camps, both who loathe diversity. You know, the, the, the kind of the, the genre commercial success camp and the art house purist camp, and they both seem to hate that films could possibly be made for each other. So, you know, a lot of yeah, this discussion are people who just want films that they personally like and they've got no time for diversity in cinema. And I say fire to that. Three. Triple. Biggest splash once more sees filmmaker Luca Guadagnino working with his I Am Love star and collaborator Tilda Swinton. This is a loose adaptation of the 1969 French film The Swimming Pool, and it evokes some aspects of Francois Ozon's 2003 film Swimming Pool. <laughs> it's predominantly quality set, radio. It's predominantly set around. A swimming pool on a remote Italian island. Uh, it's all about the sexual tensions between a rock star, uh, her photographer boyfriend, her ex-lover, and his newly discovered daughter. This is what we see play out over the two hours plus running time of A Bigger Splash. I think, Hayley, you've kicked off every single segment, but I think we want to ask you to kick off this one again because oh I know gosh. you adored this You're film. You're not such a misery guts as I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm not even quite sure if I can talk coherently about this thing because I loved it so much. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. I think it's just, God, just stick Tilda Swinton anywhere. As you can see from this movie, she doesn't even need to talk. She doesn't talk. She talks very little during this film. Just put her anywhere, put a camera on her, and she just works magic. It's just... And and then Ray Fiennes is there because why not? He's running around with no clothes on most of the time. You know, bless his heart. Um, uh, The two of them just have this amazing, crazy chemistry that just really, really works for this film, and it works for a, a genre that we have not seen for far too long, which is the erotic thriller, you know, used to see them, you know, every other week in the 90s and now it's just like, oh, you're lucky if anyone's eroticising a grapefruit. Um, So, you know, if if that is your genre jam, you know, this is going to be really great. Oh, Thomas has just lost it. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> grapefruit jam? What the hell is going I'm on? I'm just trying to think what a sexy grapefruit would look like. but um, Not very appealing. No. Thus ah. was the metaphor. P- appealing? Oh, hello. Oh, yellow card. Oh. <laughs> Dad jokes. Uh, anything more you want to contribute for the time being? Or? No, 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 well, you know, Dakota Johnson's great. If you, if you had some slither of hope for her after the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, she more than delivers here. And, of course, our favourite Belgian cheesecake of the moment, Matthias Schoonarts, or Swoonarts, as I insist on calling as him. As, 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 as our colleague, our yeah. absent colleague, Josh Nelson, mm. giggled hysterically last year when we did Far From the Madding Crowd, Show Nuts. Yeah, show Nuts! Show nuts. Oh, hello. He does do That's that in Josh. this movie. Yeah, hi, Josh. Josh. Ray um, showed nuts. Oh, it's very, very brief, but if you're paying attention, it's there. You've got to pay attention. Yeah. There's a lot of nudity in this. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty equal opportunity with the amount of nudity. Enormously or, or, equal opportunity. Or it is Dakota Fanning. A lot of, oh, she, she does a full frontal. A lot of it. She does, yeah. actually. And, but and mm. leading up to that, it's all very much see-through. I laughed yes. at that because it sounded like Fanny. That's the level that I'm working at tonight. We're in trouble. Can I bring the tone down? And, Please and bring give the tone my down. Can you not say 
<laughs> Can you say Fanny on the radio? I think it's fine. Is that okay? Yeah. Yellow card? I've got mm. <laughs> People. Uh, yeah, a bigger splash. I was actually look when I when I um I was going to compare this initially to the films of Palo Sorrentino, who recently did Youth, and who's another kind of big um a, a Italian sort of darling of the art house. Oh, Guadagnino would not like moment. that though. He hates Sorrentino. Oh, really? It's, he and does. Argento and yeah. uh, everyone. <laughs> everyone. He hates everyone. <laughs> okay, except for Jonathan Demi. Yeah. Except Jonathan Demi. And he hates Tilda Swinton being referred to as his muse because <gasps> that's a passive state. Do not They're say a collaborator. That. Yeah. But look, instead, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna compare this to another film I've seen recently, uh, titled I've just got to remember what it was called: Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice by oh, Zack Schneider. You really I, have brought the tone down. But I listen, didn't think this show could get weirder. Listen to what this uh, comparison, because I think that a bigger splash is kind of the art house equivalent of Batman versus Superman, which is a film we're not going to review in full because who cares? Um, but these these are both films I essentially liked with reservations. They're both stylistically bold, but the style is disorientating and disconcerting. And at no real point did I feel the various flourishes pay off or have any purpose and cons- consistently pulled me out of the film. They're both films with really great actors getting to play big and go over the top, which is enormously fun. Uh, they're both films that I think... Uh, the, the narrative arrangement is quite interesting and I think the use of flashbacks to strategically fill in gaps is, is, is really impressive. They're both films that have these passing references to grander themes that I don't feel are ever explored in depth. Uh, I won't go into the Batman vs Superman themes, but in this case we paid lip service to the plight of the refugees, passive racism, the way poor communities are the backdrop for the hedonism of, of the wealthy, this kind of idea of global gentrification. And I suppose predominantly it's a film about the sexual jealousy between men who um, over women who they feel belong to them. But mostly the, the comparison I want to draw between these two films is they've both culminate in a final act that is shockingly generic and bland. And in both cases, I kept on waiting for the films to undermine how kind of just obvious and vanilla their finales were, and they didn't go there. I really enjoyed both of these films until they got to the big final end bit where I thought, you've got to be kidding. This is what it's all built up to. And in the case of, of a bigger splash, I thought it was going to end at a certain... Dun, 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 point, and then it goes for about another half an hour where they kind of unpack that point, and I was just dying to leave the cinema at that point, which is sad because I was really enjoying the film up until that point, mostly because of all the nudity. I'm, I'm actually very impressed by that point and point and <laughs> analysis, even if I disagree with it wholeheartedly. <laughs> I am... Um really like, I think the Guadagnino film that I like the most is Melissa P from 2005 I think that might have even been his first film because it was the most honestly porny um, it actually reminded me a lot of the kind of 70s porno chic, um, you know, Emmanuel I mean it's it's got uh, Geraldine Chaplin in it um, She she's not the, the, the porny one I think you're right, it was his first feature yeah, I and I, yeah. there was something, it was a lot raw, I didn't have the polish, it didn't have Tilda, but there was something about it, maybe because it was more earnestly porny like it it wasn't this kind of 90s erotic thriller vibe but it was it was actually it kind of crossed over a little bit into something a bit just smuttier um so i look i I have a complicated relationship with luca guadagnino for a bunch of reasons that I'll, i'll get onto in a moment um tilda is amazing performances are amazing i don't think there's anywhere any way to really deny that i mean um ray fines in particular is incredible tilda is incredible um, that singer Ray Fine just has a dance. Oh, he, oh, he's to, just to having the, song the time of his life. The delightful I mean, dad dance. Yeah, yeah, he's just having... It's amazing, yeah. It's really lovely watching somebody have so much fun working. 
yeah, which is yeah. such an obvious. It reminded me of going to the markets and seeing the guys who shout out for the cheap <laughs> bananas. Like it's he's just having the time of his life. Um, absolutely agree with you that the politics felt really tacked on. It reminded me that that final act actually reminded me a lot of, um, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but a lot of the kind of seventies Italian political thrillers. So the um, uh, illustrious corpses, uh, what's his name, Lino Ventura, that that, that kind of stuff. It felt very. Yeah, kind of retro Italian in its kind of uh, play with with politics, but it just yeah, it was a little bit either neither here nor there for me. It, uh, so I was sort of my relation to this film though, and it's, and I, I rarely ever had it was that I felt nothing. I could recognise the really great performances, but even in the first two thirds, I was flatlining. I wasn't bored, and I was admiring the craft of it, um, but I wasn't hating it, but I wasn't loving it, and I. I wasn't. It was just such a strange experience to feel like that. Now, in the film's defence, this is and this is worth saying. I Guadagnino is doing a remake of Dario Argento's Suspiria, which I have spent the last two years writing a book about. Um, I am invested in the work of Luca Guadagnino because remakes fill all of our souls with fear and terror. I think they can be done well. Um, the Suspiria remake has a long convoluted history so that Guadagnino is actually Italian as it comes as a relief to me. And he has said some wonderful things about how he's approaching the remake. The Argento family are not so at home to it. There's been some nastiness between Guadagnino and the uh, Asia Argento on Twitter and it's, it's all been a bit... Um, so I was kind of watching this perhaps thinking, how is this guy going to make Suspiria? Two things really stood out for me. One, number one was the terrible use of music in this film. And I don't mean just um, the choices of music. Um, I think that but it, but the kind of background music, the, the sort of diegetic music, I'd, the, the music was used almost in a really kind of, it almost felt like a student film. The music was just so, uh, there's just nothing going on with the soundtrack that really I found interesting at all. He told it me in just, this interview I did with him back back in the day is he hates music being obviously emotive or moving the story. How so the it's hell almost, is he going to do Suspiria? Yeah, it's almost like, like he, he's de- he deliberately picks music that's going to jar, which which worked in I Am Love, I thought. But but to, yeah, it's yeah, and, and the point. other thing I think that is probably even of more of a concern for me, um, the Suspiria remake is starring Tilda Swinton and Dakota Johnson. I think the four main performances in this film are all very strong. I thought there was zero, zero chemistry between those two. Zero. I think there's chemistry between everybody else, but I thought the scenes with those two in particular just totally flatlined. Um, so, I, yeah, like I said, I bring a lot of baggage to a bigger splash that makes it not... This is not a, a neutral review of, of a bigger splash. Um, I think we I, need to give Hayley the right of reply, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, can I just say, you, I, I'm aware I've been saying Dakota... Fanning hits. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's Dakota Johnson. Johnson. I, I just noticed that then. Yeah, no. Um, I was just going to say, I find it interesting. Like, I totally understand how people can find Guadagnino star style jarring and unpleasant and they don't kind of know where they want to sit with things. But I think the thing that I found the most refreshing in this film is I feel like modern criticism is overly invested in the idea of likability. You know, films have to be likeable. The characters within them have to be likeable. They have to be, I don't know, you you have to have some kind of emotional understanding with them that reflects your own life and your own experiences. The best thing about A Bigger Splash is you spend the whole film basically tennis courting back and forth between these four characters in terms of, oh, who do I like? Who's doing the moral thing? Oh, you know, and no one comes out of this 
clean and uncomplicated that's, and I loved that's it. That's very, very in the tradition of Euro, Euro chic. I like mm. Euro porn and, and that kind of um, porno chic from the 70s. So Tinto Brass, mm. of course, is the Italian version. But Jess Franco, it's exactly mm. that same thing. And I think that he's very conscious of that tradition. Mm. And maybe that's just why I liked his earlier stuff because it was more overtly, consciously porny. I mean, it's not pornography. Mm. But it was less of the quote unquote erotic thriller than this. I agree with you. I really hate that privileging of, of um, identification. Mm. Like, this isn't a film that you identify with. And I think that that's a really simplistic way to engage with a film. I've been accused of that, um, but I, I also think I feel that way too. Mm. <laughs> but I, I have been accused of that. But I, I, I agree. I, I think my issue with him, and no, I, I did essentially still like this despite really disliking the ending. And I had a similar problem with I Am Love. He's an academic, he comes from knowing an enormous amount of sin about cinema and I feel like he just throws references and style you know at, at at the camera and they don't always have much purpose other than to show that he knows this stuff I think I'm okay with that he, he can keep throwing sh- stuff at my face and I'm fine I definitely so. get why people love this film and I I, I can like I said I, I bring baggage to it that makes me a minority um, and I think of the three films that we've done tonight this is definitely the one that I found the most interesting didn't perhaps enjoy it but I found it super interesting You've been listening to Plato's Cave. I think we better wrap this thing up. We have spoken tonight about Zootopia. That's on general release through Walt Disney Studios. We talked about The Daughter. That's on general release through Roadshow Films. And A Bigger Splash is on general release through Studio Canal. You've been listening to myself, Thomas Cordwell, and Alexandra Helen Nicholas. And also Hayley Inch, who's been with us this week and last week. Hayley, thank you so much for dropping in again. Oh, always a pleasure. We will definitely have you again back on the show throughout this year. Always a pleasure. Uh, if all goes to plan, Josh Nelson and Cerise Howard will be back on the show next week. So that will be exciting. We're going to be talking about Sherpa, Eye in the Sky, and April and the Extraordinary World. Good night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.